This week's podcast from the Estate Strategy Group is on the subject of global warming. We're going to take a helicopter or what some people would describe as a macro look at the causes, the impact it's having and very importantly what individual people and companies can do to reduce carbon emissions and contribute towards saving our planet or drastically reducing the impact we are seeing. And all of this with the intention of ensuring we can make a commitment to both our children and the generations to come in years ahead. This commitment is for the chance of a positive future on planet Earth. A positive future instead of issuing an apology for our lack of insufficient action in relation to our precious environment. Let's start our look at global warming, or what some people refer to as the greenhouse effect, by first looking at the subject of population growth. In the year 1950, the number of people living on planet Earth was 2.5 billion people. As of today, which is March the 10th in the year 2020, the Earth's population is at over 7.7 billion, a staggering 5 billion increase in the number of people. This means that there are 5 billion more people using the planet's resources and emitting waste of different types. There are 5 billion more mouths to feed, courtesy of food that has to be forced manufactured and is often placed into glass, plastic and cardboard packaging, all of which we know contributes to the greenhouse effect. Largely influenced by the habits and the impact of human beings, some experts are now presenting evidence to predict that the world will face catastrophic environmental conditions by the year 2050, which of course is just 30 years from now. As an example, according to a report from Climate Control, who are a science-based organization in New Jersey, United States, planet Earth and hundreds of millions of people will be threatened by rising sea levels that are predicted to put parts of some countries and famous cities underwater. The authors of the report have produced a more accurate way of calculating land elevation. This is based on satellite readings, a standard way of estimating the effects of sea level rise over large areas, and this exercise has revealed that previous numbers were far too optimistic. The new research shows that some 150 million people are now living on land that will be below the high tide line by mid-century. These rising sea levels would impact most parts of the world, but some of the areas most affected include Thailand, Vietnam, China, India, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, with places such as Bangkok, Cambodia, Mumbai and Alexandria in Egypt totally engulfed by water, or at least that's the prediction. Yet more research, this time done by the scientific magazine Nature Communications, states that some 200 million people in the world will live below sea level by the year 2100. In addition to that, 150 million people will be affected by a higher rate of annual flooding due to the rise in the levels of the ocean. Moreover, the numbers will keep increasing and they will be much higher than the information put out in the previous studies that have been published. A total of 250 million people could be affected by the adverse conditions. Out of the affected people, scientists claim that 70% of the population will be from eight countries of Asia. Bangladesh and India will be impacted hard, as would Vietnam, Thailand and Indonesia. The Philippines and Japan would also be affected. As far as here in Europe is concerned, the Netherlands would be the most affected. More than 4 million people are expected to live below sea level by the year 2100. Areas of the UK also come under threat, with more than 1.5 million people predicted to be at risk. Germany, Turkey, France and Italy will also be affected. 
Now, interestingly, the model that was used in the study has an average global temperature increase of 2 degrees Celsius, with the possibility of accelerated melting of the ice sheet not being taken into account. Some of the figures presented might also be regarded as optimistic. So for clarity, let's take a look at what global warming is. As human beings continue to pour greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, oceans have tempered the effect. The world's seas have absorbed more than 90% of the heat from these gases but it's taking a toll on our oceans. For example, the year 2018 set a new record for ocean heating. Many people think of global warming and climate change as synonyms, but scientists prefer to use climate change when describing the complex shifts that are now affecting our planet's weather and climate systems. Rising seas is one of those climate change effects. Average sea levels have swelled over 8 inches, about 23 centimetres since the year 1880, with approximately 3 of those 8 inches gained in the last 25 years. Every year, the sea rises another 0.13 inches, which is 3.2 millimetres. The change in sea levels is linked to three primary factors, all induced by ongoing global climate change. Firstly, there's something known as thermal expansion. When water heats up, it expands. About half of the sea level rise over the past 25 years is attributable to warmer oceans simply occupying more space. Secondly, there's melting glaciers. Large ice formations such as the mountain glaciers naturally melt a bit each summer. In the winter, snows, primarily from evaporated seawater, are generally sufficient to balance out the melting. Recently, though, persistently higher temperatures caused by global warming have led to greater than average summer melting, as well as diminished snowfall due to later winters and earlier springs. That creates an imbalance between runoff and ocean evaporation, causing sea levels to rise. And then thirdly, loss of Greenland and Antarctica's ice sheets. As with mountain glaciers, increased heat is causing the massive ice sheets that cover Greenland and Antarctica to melt more quickly. Scientists also believe that meltwater from above and seawater from below is seeping beneath Greenland's ice sheets, effectively lubricating ice streams and causing them to move more quickly into the sea. While melting in West Antarctica has drawn considerable focus from the scientists, especially with the 2017 break in the Larsen Sea Ice Shelf, glaciers in East Antarctica are also showing signs of destabilizing. So what are the consequences? Well, we've already touched on this earlier. When sea levels rise as rapidly as they have been, even a small increase can have a devastating effect on coastal habitats. Farther inland, it can cause destructive erosion, wetland flooding, and agricultural soil contamination with salt and lost habitat for fish, birds and plants. Higher sea levels are coinciding with more dangerous hurricanes and typhoons that move more slowly and drop more rain, contributing to more powerful storm surges that can strip away everything in their path. One study found that between the year 1963 and 2012, almost half of the deaths from Atlantic hurricanes were caused by storm surges. Already, flooding in low-lying coastal areas is forcing people to migrate to higher ground, and millions more vulnerable from flood risk and other climate change effects. The prospect of higher coastal water levels threatens basic services such as internet access, 
since much of the underlying communications infrastructure lies in the path of rising seas. So what about adapting to these threats? As a result of these risks, many coastal cities are already planning adaption measures to cope with the long-term prospects of higher sea levels, often at considerable cost. Building seawalls, rethinking roads and planting mangroves or other vegetation to absorb water are all being undertaken. In Jakarta, a $40 billion project will aim to protect the city with an 80-foot-high seawall. Rotterdam, home to the Global Centre on Adaption, has offered a model to other cities seeking to combat flooding and land loss. The Dutch city has built barriers, drainage and innovative architectural features such as a water square with temporary ponds. Of course, communities vulnerable to rising seas can only go so far in holding back the tide. In the Marshall Islands, where rising sea levels are also forcing a choice between relocating or building up the land, residents will need help from other nations if they decide to undertake the expensive latter option. So how high will the waters go? Most predictions say the warming of the planet will continue and is likely to accelerate, causing the oceans to keep on rising. This means hundreds of coastal cities face the prospects of flooding. But forecasting how much and how soon seas will rise remains an area of ongoing research. Another most recent special report from the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change says we can expect the oceans to rise between 10 and 30 inches, which is 26 to 77 centimetres by the year 2100, with temperatures warming 1.5 degrees centigrade. That's enough to seriously affect many of the cities along the US east coast. Another analysis based on NASA and European data skewed towards the higher end of that range, predicting a rise of 26 inches, which is 65 centimetres, by the end of this century, if the current trajectory continues. If all the ice that currently exists on Earth in glaciers and sheets melted, it would raise sea levels by 216 feet. That could cause entire states and even some countries to disappear under the waves from Florida to Bangladesh. That's not a scenario scientists think is likely, and it would probably take many centuries, but it could eventually happen if the world keeps burning fossil fuels indiscriminately. In the meantime, scientists keep refining their models of sea level changes. They also point out that the extent to which countries work together to limit release of more greenhouse gases may have a significant impact on how quickly sea levels rise and how much. Let's talk a little bit more about the greenhouse effect. The exchange of incoming and outgoing radiation that warms the Earth is often referred to as the greenhouse effect because a greenhouse works in much of a similar way. Incoming UV radiation easily passes through the glass walls of a greenhouse and is absorbed by the plants and hard surfaces inside. Weaker IR radiation, however, has difficulty passing through the glass walls and is trapped inside, thus warming the greenhouse. This effect lets tropical plants thrive inside a greenhouse, even during a cold winter. A similar phenomenon takes place in a car parked outside on a cold, sunny day. Incoming solar radiation warms the car's interior, but outgoing thermal radiation is trapped inside the car's closed windows. The greenhouse effect, combined with increasing levels of greenhouse gases and the resulting global warming, is expected to have profound implications according to the near-universal consensus of opinion of the world's scientists. If global warming continues unchecked, it will cause significant climate change, the rise in sea levels that we've already shared, increasing ocean acidification, extreme weather events and other severe natural and societal impacts, according to NASA, the EPA and other scientific 
and governmental bodies. Can the greenhouse effect be reversed? Many scientists agree that the damage to the Earth's atmosphere and climate is past the point of no return, or that the damage is near to the point of no return. One such person is Joseph Wern, an associate professor at the Department of Geology and Planetary Science at the University of Pittsburgh. He agrees that we have passed the point of avoiding climate change and suggests that there are three options from this point forward. Number one, we can do nothing and live with the consequences. Number two, we can adapt to the changing climate, which includes things like rising sea levels and related flooding. And number three, we can mitigate the impact of climate change by aggressively enacting policies that actually reduce the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. To counter this, Keith Peterman, a professor of chemistry at York College of Pennsylvania, and Gregory Foy, an associate professor of chemistry at York College of Pennsylvania, think that the damage isn't to the point yet, and that international agreements and action can save the planet's atmosphere. Currently, some scientists are investigating how to re-engineer the atmosphere to reverse global warming. For example, theories published in the Journal of Science in July 2017 by Erich Lohmann and Blas Gasparini, researchers at the Institute of Atmospheric and Climate Science at ETH Zurich in Switzerland, propose reducing cirrus clouds that trap heat. More positive news comes from a report released by the Committee on Climate Change. They call for fundamental change to land use in order to address the climate crisis. The CCC, the CCC, an independent body set up to advise the UK government around the climate emergency, has been assessing different ways that land is used and the impact that this might have on our climate. Its findings are clear. The current UK target for net zero carbon emissions can't be met unless we make big changes to land use. Their report suggests various ways that we can use the land, which can include farming and land management, and how this can be adjusted to lower carbon emissions and, even more than that, actually increase the ability of land to actually lock carbon away. These proposals include planting more trees, including on farmland, increasing the areas covered by forests, and therefore increasing the number of trees that can capture carbon. In reaching a conclusion, let's take a look at what we as individuals and companies can do better. Firstly, we could look at replacing regular light bulbs with LED lights. LED lights have a longer lifespan than traditional bulbs. One of the main reasons why LED light bulbs are considered to be so eco-friendly is the fact they are designed to last much longer than conventional light bulbs. LED light bulbs can last up to 20 times longer than standard forms of lighting, such as incandescent bulbs or halogen bulbs, which has a very positive effect on the environment. The fact that LEDs last longer means that fewer bulbs need to be produced, and conversely they do not need to be replaced as often. Remember, less is more when it comes to helping the environment. So the fact that fewer lights are needed means that fewer resources will be required for manufacturing, packaging and transportation. There's less energy wastage with LED lighting. Standard LED bulbs can be up to 80% more energy efficient than conventional bulbs and waste far less energy than other styles of lighting. Fluorescent lights, for example, convert around 90% of the energy they produce into heat and only 5% into light. LED lights, however, convert 95% of their energy into light, with only 5% being wasted as heat. This means that LEDs require less power than regular forms of lighting. So obviously, the less energy they require, the more positive the effect on the environment. As a homeowner or business owner, this is also an important characteristic because the less energy required to produce lighting, the lower your monthly energy bills will be. 
So when you choose LED lighting for your home or business, not only can you help to save the planet you live on, you can also save money in the process. One of the second things that you can do is look to drive less. You could look to car share, or if you can afford it, you could look at electric or hybrid cars. You should keep your tyres inflated properly to reduce the mileage. This may seem like a small point, but it makes a measurable difference. The third area is, of course, your household and business waste, taking time and care to make sure you're recycling as much of that waste as possible. You could look to reduce your use of hot water. You could plant trees in your garden or on your land, wherever it's possible. You could look to keep the temperatures of your house or your offices regulated by adjusting the thermostat. You should try to avoid buying products that contain a lot of packaging. And finally, you should definitely look to have an energy assessment done on your property and business. Now, no one's pretending that helping the environment is easy, but if each person and each company in the UK passed this challenge off and relied on other people to take all the action, insufficient gains would be made. And we think that every responsible adult would like to ensure we are giving our children and the generations to come the chance of a positive future instead of a shameful confession that we could have done more to help them by taking care of our environment. Estate strategy group BrightCheck is a web-based tool that can quickly assess the feasibility of installing renewable energy technologies on a building or a site. Our product comprehensively models potential energy cost and carbon savings of each technology and the capital investment required. This is achieved using easily obtained energy and building data without using costly or time-consuming on-site surveys. BrightCheck was created by accountants, engineers and energy managers, enabling comprehensive reporting output both technically and financially. After completing the assessment, we present our clients with the findings. These findings are shown in two formats, a detailed technical appendix and a summarised executive report. The available technologies are ranked by feasibility and calculate the savings potential for the future. The State Strategy Group has partnered with the NHS to assess a number of hospitals using the BrightCheck platform to identify potential opportunities to install renewable energy technologies. So that brings to a conclusion our podcast all about the subject of the greenhouse effect or global warming. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not share it with two or three people, either personally or in business, that you think would find this subject interesting and where you think it might help to change behaviour so that in the future we are giving our children and future generations a planet that they can exist on. Thank you for taking the time to listen.